to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Welcome, everyone, to Geraldine Tegelov Live, and yes, I'm Geraldine. Okay, so over the past few weeks, we have been taking a very close look at how we can overcome hyperstress and anxiety and get back to living the life that we were meant to live. Yes, woohoo! I am sure we all know only too well what happens when we allow both of these symptoms creep into our everyday lives and then continue to grow until they overtake everything we do. Um, or it could be a traumatic experience that happens to us and we are just overcome once again with these symptoms. A simple tasks become mountainous and relationships difficult to maintain and staying healthy seems to be a constant battle and I could go on and on and on. Yes, we definitely need to take some form of action but we also need to make sure that we know what we are dealing with through uh, obtaining sound advice from experts in the field. Well, today, I have the pleasure of chatting with my guest, Dr. Stacy Coltman, who is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. She is a, a licensed clinical psychologist and a mental health services researcher. Dr. Coltman's research focuses on the development and evaluation of sustainable mental health interventions for underserved populations in primary care settings with a focus on the impact of trauma. So we are in very good hands today. In addition, her current research focuses on how to simultaneously treat diabetes and depression in low-income patient populations. Dr. Coltman's teaching focuses on uh, doctor-patient communication, including instruction in both basic and complex communication skills, as well as behavioral and psychosocial aspects of medical care. As you can understand, uh, Dr. Stacy is going to have an enormous benefit uh, to us today in sharing with you, um, you know, so much knowledge that she has and experience. Okay, so right now, I would love to welcome to the show Dr. Stacy Coltman. Are you there, Stacy? I am, and thank you so much for that lovely introduction. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. 
Oh, fantastic. That's great. Yes, and it, and I'm glad you put it that way, Stacey, because, you know, it just needs to be a discussion and a chat and we might kind of go off track a bit here and there, but I'm sure we'll um, learn lots and I, I feel like I'm a, a listener today, which is very exciting. <laughs> so, um, Stacey, would you like to share with our listeners just a, a little of your story, you know, of, uh, I guess, your expertise within the field of dealing with clients suffering the outcomes of trauma in particular. Sure. Um, so when I graduated from college, I worked at a treatment and research center called the Center for Cognitive Therapy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, they provided treatment for depression and anxiety Uh, including post-traumatic stress disorder. And my job was to coordinate the intake. So when a new patient called for services, I would be the first person they would chat with. And I was always most interested in the patients who were really dealing with the impact of some extraordinary circumstance in their life, some type of very traumatic experience, Um, which led me to pursue training in clinical psychology And I enrolled in a doctoral program at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and had just begun my studies. And I was fortunate to attend a conference that was in D.C. and saw uh, a woman named Bonnie Green, Dr. Bonnie Green, present her research. And she is one of the um, people who really contributed to our understanding of what a traumatic event is and how it impacts our lives. And at the time, she was uh, looking at um, whether breast cancer might be a trigger for post-traumatic stress disorder. That was her current research. And I was just so impressed with the work that she was doing. And I was so excited to learn that she was in the same city I was. She was at Georgetown University, which is just across the city um, from Catholic, where I was doing my um, graduate work. So I talked with her after her presentation and asked her if she needed help on any of her studies. And it was so fortuitous because she was just uh, had just received a big grant and was about to launch a, a large study and needed research assistance. So I um, signed on immediately to work with her <laughs> on that project, um, which really uh, led to um, basically the start of my career because it would it really uh, was so interesting to me. That particular study was looking at college-age women and their experiences of trauma and how it impacted them. Well, you certainly weren't looking for an easy way, were you, Stacey? I mean, looking at trauma straight up. <laughs> you were wanting to get into it well and truly. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, yeah. it's, it's no problem. It, it's true. Um And so at at the time, I was also working on developing my own research, and my research mentor at Catholic uh, was a man named George Bonanno, who's now at Columbia University, and he's an amazing, amazing researcher who is a very creative um, and out-of-the-box thinker, and he was looking at midlife spousal bereavement over time, and he was interested also in trauma, so we decided that we could Kind of bring our interests together, and so we looked at his uh, his uh, study cohort with a trauma lens to see if we could predict 
you know, of these people who had had a similar experience, they'd all lost a spouse in midlife, you know, if we could predict who might develop PTSD. Oh, wow. That was, um, and I, I've never, you know, I've, I know that a lot of people who lose a spouse, you know, it does cause incredible trauma in their lives. Uh, but I've never really thought of it to that extent, Stacey. Okay, so, and from there? So from there, I finished my training and I um, was looking for a job. And Bonnie Green, again from Georgetown, called me and said they were about to have a faculty opening. And I was so excited. I had continued to work with her through the, I guess, seven years of my graduate training and my postdoc on various projects and um, really loved her research group and all the work they were doing. So I was so excited to join the faculty and become one of them. (laughs) And they were doing a lot of research at the time in primary care clinics looking at how best to create sustainable interventions in primary care clinics where patients really didn't have access to specialty mental health care. And over time, I realized that while we were doing a great job working with the English-speaking populations, there was a growing non-English-speaking population that we really weren't able to work with. Um, We didn't really um, have the language capacity or an understanding of what their needs might be. So I um, received a grant to to do just that, to work with our um, non-English speaking population, which were primarily immigrants from Central and South America, and really to learn about their trauma exposure and how it was impacting them and how we might begin to work meaningfully with this patient population. And so for a number of years did that work. And as you said, my my research has uh, turned a little bit, but I I think we're going to talk about that later. Yes, yes. So I'm really um, fascinated, uh, Stacey. So obviously, there are some people who are more prone to uh, the effects of trauma than others. Is that what you're saying? So we know that um, there's no, first of all, no uniform response after experiencing uh, a traumatic event. Um, we, th- we often think of PTSD as the most um, identifiable because it's, you know, directly linked with the trauma. Um, but not everyone that experiences a traumatic event experiences PTSD as a result. In fact, the modal response isn't to experience it. The modal response, meaning the most common response, isn't to experience um, PTSD. So there's been a lot of research um, looking at what might predict who will um, go on to develop PTSD. And we don't have the magic answer, although we know of a lot of risk factors. Um, And there's very interesting research uh, going on in this area now. For example, looking at maybe genetic risk factors that might predict. Um, Yes. Like the type of traumatic event, um, could put you at risk. So for example, um, in interpersonal violence, like experiencing a rape increases your likelihood of having PTSD more than say being in an accident. Um, 
Right. Okay. Now, Stacey, we're just about to go to break. So, um, uh, this is really interesting and um, exciting for me to learn about these things. Uh, but uh, we will continue with so much more, everyone, following our break. Uh, we're going to have a look at um, the ongoing effects of, of trauma. And we're going to, um, I guess, get lots of information from Dr. Stacy regarding her regarding her findings around this, and and uh, how we can best deal, perhaps, with the trauma that we may have experienced personally in our lives. So, as you can see. Dr. Stacy has an incredible amount of knowledge and expertise to share with us. So just stay tight where you are and after the break. Best-selling author, musician, and life coach, Geraldine Tegelov will return after this short break. about Mel and Joey Schwanke, a Nebraska couple that have worn matching outfits for the last 35 years? Apparently, they have over 140 matching outfits, all custom-made, which typically match her dress with his tie. The couple is a match made in heaven. Neither one of them can remember the exact date they started this quirky tradition, but they both contend it's one of the elements that have held their marriage together an impressive 65 years. What do you call a marriage between well-matched people? No Muckamosis. Mr. and Mrs. Schwanky say that Velcro connects them because they do everything together. If you like doting on your wife with excessive fondness, you would be uxorious. And a woman who is excessively devoted to her husband is maritorious. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Harvard Medical School indicates that the most effective method for losing weight is to cut back on your consumption of calories while bumping up your activity level. They use the example of eating a candy bar, which takes a mere minute or two. But most people would have to walk for over 40 minutes to burn those calories. Remember that 3,500 calories equals one pound of fat. Reducing your daily calorie intake by 500 calories and working out is a sure way to drop weight and increase health benefits. They state that you will shed approximately one pound of fat for every 35 miles you walk, assuming that your food intake and activities stay the same. That is encouraging news and very doable. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back as Geraldine Tegelov continues to guide us through the three R's, the processes of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding a happy and successful life. Here is host and life coach, Dr. Geraldine Tegelov. Yes, you are listening to Geraldine on Geraldine Tegelove Live. And today I am chatting with Dr. Stacey Coltman, who is certainly an expert in her field. Dr. Coltman is with us today to help us grow our understanding around the outcomes of trauma in our lives. 
and how we can begin to deal with this so that we are not forever ruled by the past or current events that keep us from living the freedom that we truly deserve. And I'm sure there is a not or there is not a, a one size fits all solution to the healing. But unless we're open to exploring what is available to us, then we will never find our particular solution. So I'm going back now with uh, Dr. Stacy, and I know that, Stacy, you have done many areas of study, including battered women and loss of a spouse and female veterans, etc. Now, do all of these show similar symptoms with regards to the outcome of their traumatic experiences? So all of those um, traumas that you identified are capable of producing PTSD. Um, but as you said, not everyone who experiences them will go on to develop PTSD. There are other potential mental health outcomes that individuals can experience like depression or um, alcohol or substance abuse or other anxiety disorders. And often there's actually overlap. So we think about 80% of people who have PTSD also meet criteria for depression or substance abuse. Right. Okay. Yes. And um, so in all of this, Stacey, uh, showing their, you know, similar, so they, you're saying that some of them just go on to um, drugs or alcohol or things, addictions in that way? So the, we do think that the PTSD symptoms occur first, and they're very uncomfortable symptoms to experience. And so some people then turn to alcohol or substances to um, kind of self-medicate, you know, to kind of help uh, dampen the impact of the experiencing those symptoms. So what are the, the basic symptoms, Stacey? Sure. So... Um, PTSD is an interesting diagnosis to make. It's, it's, I think of it as like a menu-driven disorder. We need a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So we well, have to have a whole lot of things before we can actually be classified. <laughs> right. So, and I can tell you what those kind of different buckets are. Um, yes. So there, there needs to be one or more intrusion symptoms present. And intrusion symptoms are things like recurrent um, in involuntary intrusive memories of the um, traumatic event. So are they like, um, f is that what they call flashbacks? So that's another type of intrusive symptom. Oh, so okay. I'm about intrusive thoughts. So, um, you know, I could um, be, let's say, just doing dishes at home and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about what happened to me and it's experienced in a way that feels like it's out of my control and it's very um, unpleasant to experience. Right. Okay. So yeah. there's, um, as you mentioned, also flashbacks or just type of dissociative reaction um, where the person feels or acts as if they're back in experiencing a traumatic event. Um, there's also nightmares, uh, which... Um, in certain cases, like we think with combat PTSD, are very um, predictive of how people do over time. 
Um, and then also just experiencing intense either psychological distress or physiological reactions in response to um, kind of thinking about the traumatic event. So there has to be one of those present. Right, yes. And then also uh, one or more avoidance symptoms. So really persistently avoiding uh, reminders of of the event, either, you know, people, places, activities that remind the person of what they experienced or efforts to avoid thinking about what happened. Mm. Then, then, sorry. No, sorry, Stacey. I'm just kind of, you know, really listening <laughs> intently to all of this. Go on. Then the next category are um, we call negative alterations in cognitions or thoughts and mood um, associated with a traumatic event. So examples of this would be an inability to remember an important part of the traumatic event. So we think traumatic memories are encoded differently um, than how our normal autobiographical memories are encoded. They tend to have very uh, sensory com components to them. They're recorded with smells and, and um, sound, and they don't have that nice narrative component that our typical autobiographical memories have. Um, and often they're missing pieces. So that would be one example. Um, or having persistent negative beliefs or expectations about oneself or the world, things like I'm bad because I must have been bad if this happened to me or the world is a completely dangerous place. Um, also having uh, just persistent negative emotions like fear, anger, guilt, shame, which we know often accompany an experience like this. Having diminished interest in activities that one used to enjoy. Also feeling detached or estranged from people that are close to us. And then also having trouble experiencing positive emotions. So really not experiencing joy or happiness anymore. Mm. Oh, my goodness, Stacey. It's, um, and I guess, you know, I was listening to you saying about sounds and smells and things. And I guess they would act as triggers, would they, to uh, the person ex going back into the experience? Absolutely. So if. You um, smell the cologne of a person who attacked you. That could trigger, um, you know, intense distress. Yeah. So that makes it, I mean, you could be anywhere at any time, couldn't you, and have these um, reactions to things. Right, and that's what often happens with people who have PTSD is they start avoiding things that have the potential to trigger the negative uh, emotions, the distress or the physiological distress. And so they start living more and more constricted lives, um, which it unfortunately then reinforces the symptoms in a way. Um, avoidance uh, teaches us kind of the wrong thing. What we need to be doing is exposing ourselves in a very safe and structured way to the memories of what happened so that we can then realize that they're not as 
scary and they're not harmful the way we think they might be and that we can turn them into a narrative so that they become part of our larger story and not something to be, you know, frightened of. Wow. Yes. Uh, I can... um, It is, you know, a a big thing and I guess it's, well, from you obviously and your research, it's discovering these things so that, but but, wow, this, what I'm trying to say here, Stacey, is this is great advice to those out there listening who may be suffering any of these symptoms and really not knowing how to deal with it. But obviously getting help with this is the first place to start so that you can unravel what you're experiencing and, um, you know, making sure that somebody is there beside you to walk you through this. So these are some of the ongoing effects of a traumatic experience, Stacey, or are there others? So the, we didn't get to the last category. The last category um, we symptoms are alterations in arousal and reactivity, um, which include things like irritable, irritable behavior. Stacy, can I just interrupt there? Um, I'm just getting a quick message from the producer that uh, sometimes you're going a little bit quiet and then getting a bit louder. If uh, Are you right in front of your um, you know, audio, your mic? just so that the listeners can really hear you. Sorry, I interrupted. Let's go on again. Sure. Um, So other examples of arousal or reactivity can include things like hypervigilance, like always being on the lookout um, in a way that's probably not necessary, Um, experiencing an exaggerated startle response, like really reacting if you hear a loud noise, um, more so than someone without PTSD. And then problems with concentration and sleep also are in this category. Mm, And I guess this just um, kind of gets worse and worse if it's not dealt with, Stacey? It tends to be chronic. Um, So it is, it definitely, if someone's experiencing these symptoms, it makes sense to have them evaluated. And if a person meets criteria for PTSD to get some formal treatment. Yeah, yes. And I mean, let's face it, if this is happening, and even if you are uh, a family member and you can see this happening within your family members or your loved ones, then, you know, helping them, I suppose, or assisting them to go and, and get help or to have help brought to them if they, because I'm sure it can sometimes get to that point where they won't leave the house and and they can't deal with it. So, you know, in getting help for them is really the important thing. So, um, Stacey, we're coming into another commercial break. And after the break, though, and time goes very quickly on radio, Stacey, we seem to just get yeah. from one to the other, you know, and you think... Excuse me, but what happened to the time? So, um, after this break, I would love to go into perhaps, you know, from a a family point of view, recognizing the symptoms or even within yourself recognizing these symptoms and then what we do about that and how we can deal with that so that uh, we can get the, the actual help that we need 
because I guess um, looking for that perfect help and knowing what we need as individuals is a very important way to go. Musician and life coach Geraldine Teglove will return after this short break. Did you know that many prospective college students work under the management of handlers? A tutor helps with SAT preparation, while a consultant concocts the perfect resume to present to colleges. They say the closest people ever come to perfection is on their resume. But college admission staffs aren't so bubbleable. That means gullible when it comes to sorting out students' qualifications. What's another word for a person with enough education to go to college? A tancom. The graduation cap was initially a hood and is believed to date back to the Celtic times when druid priests wore capes and hoods to symbolize their intelligence. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Nuts are an overall good choice for snacking. Almonds are my favorite nut, and I try to include them in my daily eating. Almonds have more calcium than any other nut. They are low in carbs, but high in fiber and protein. Studies show that eating almonds and other nuts will give you a feeling of fullness longer and help you eat fewer calories throughout the day. Twelve almonds are under 100 calories and very satisfying. Peanuts are another good choice. Health Mazian says that like most other nuts, peanuts are also full of brain-boosting healthy fats and vitamin E as well. One ounce of peanuts, about 28 unshelled nuts, contains about 170 calories, 7 grams of protein, and 14 grams of fat. Eating nuts helps your brain power and reduces inflammation. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Welcome back as Geraldine Tegelov continues to guide us through the three R's, the processes of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding a happy and successful life. Here is host and life coach, Dr. Geraldine Tegelov. Yes, you are listening to Geraldine on Geraldine Tegelov Live, and I am speaking with Dr. Stacy Coltman. Now, if you have just joined us, this is the sixth in a series of eight shows focused on helping those suffering enormous levels of stress or anxiety understand that there is now real hope and real answers and real solutions to assist you uh, overcoming the symptoms that go hand in hand with any form of stress. Now, If you would like to listen to the complete show and lots of others, then you can download them for free from iTunes. Just search Geraldine Tegelove Live under podcasts, or you can come here to toginet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com, and listen or download from my show page, or you can also find them on my website at GeraldineTegelove.com. So lots of places where you can go and have a listen to the the complete show. And believe me, this one is really worth listening to uh, over as many times as you want because uh, Dr. Stacy has so much to share with us 
at the moment. And I'd love in this segment, um, Stacey, to go into what you see as being essential to the recovery from trauma. Would you like to share a little of that with us, please? Sure. So I think the first uh, important piece is really giving um, patients and their families information, information about how trauma impacts us, information if they're suffering from PTSD about what that is that can often be enormously relieving for people. Um, They know they're very uncomfortable and experiencing a lot of um, uncomfortable symptoms, but having a framework to put that in can be extremely helpful. So that would be the first piece. Um, And then often treatments uh, for PTSD start with helping uh, the individual develop some skills to help them self-soothe in a healthy way. So um, to calm their physiology down when they're feeling particularly anxious and give them that sense of control that they, that they do have some control over this. So one um, way to do this would be to work on breathing with them to explain that when we're anxious, we tend to breathe quickly and shout in a shallow way. Um, and what we need to be doing is to be breathing deeply and uh, diaphragmatic or much lower breathing which can help calm someone down. And then um, once they have some of those basic skills, then really to work on symptom reduction. And we have um, some very good evidence-based treatments, meaning supported by a lot of research. Um, uh, Prolonged exposure is one that really focuses on um, exposing the individual to their memories and also things that they've been avoiding has very good evidence. There's um, That was developed by Edna Foa. There's cognitive processing therapy developed by Patty Resick, which focuses in addition to some exposure also on the cognitive aspects um, of trauma. And, and also now um, one of my colleagues, uh, Jan Krupnik, has been um, evaluating interpersonal psychotherapy for um treating PTSD and is also finding good results. So there's a lot of evidence-based psychotherapies available. Um, It's important to find someone who's very well-trained in them, of course. Um, There's also some medications. um, The FDA has approved two serotonin-specific reuptake inhibitors, uh, sertraline and paroxetine, for PTSD. However, the response rates aren't exactly where we would want them to be. They're not super high, about 60% of people respond and about 20 to 30% achieve full remission. So we don't quite Mm. have medication, um, the type of medication we would want that would really provide a lot of relief um, to everyone experiencing PTSD. But there's a lot of work going on in that area as well. Yes, and and obviously this all takes time and, and, you know, um, and things change, don't they, in the scientific realm, Stacey, from one, well, probably from one week to the next as to what they discover about the brain and everything else that's going on. Um, it kind of changes everything and all that wonderful research that has done sometimes moves on because of new discoveries within the scientific world, I'm sure. But I... I now, I think I read somewhere, Stacey, that you have a belief there is a connection between the mind and the body. And, and would you like to share with us how this 
uh, impact or how does this impact on your methods of assisting the client's recovery? So there's a lot and, and as you say, exponentially growing knowledge in this area. Um, so for example, if you look at um, patients with PTSD, their health is worse too, their uh, physical health. So pretty much any way you want to look at physical health. So if you look at self-reported symptoms or functioning, if you look at physician-diagnosed medical problems, in particular cardiovascular disease, um, patients with PTSD experience um, worse health. And um, the way we think about that is that, um, you know, we have a very delicate um sympathetic nervous system, which is our flight or fight response, you know, so our, mm. you know, ancestors who came across saber-toothed tigers on the plains, you know, would be able to respond really quickly to that, um, that sight and run as fast as they could. <laughs> and- yes. <laughs> I'd be with them, Stacey, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that sympathetic nervous system is very, um, finely tuned delicate system and it's meant to turn on and turn off really quickly but what we find in people who are experiencing PTSD is it's turned on in a in a much more prolonged way and when there's triggers it 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 elevates even further so which which if you put that together with risky behavior like alcohol and drugs could lead to wear and tear on organs which is why we think we then see worse health uh, yes. Well, it only stands to reason, really, doesn't it? If you're living with those type of emotions and and um, stresses, that it is going to play havoc with your, uh, not just your mental health, I guess, but your physical health as well. Absolutely. Mm, yes. Yeah, so, um, I guess you have to be very aware of that, too, as uh, as you discover you know, if if you have PTSD or you're leading towards that, then that's the way to go. So, what what led you to your current research, um, Stacey? I think you're doing new things at the moment. I am. So, I have um, actually a couple of different um, research areas. And I, I know um, we talked about the depression and diabetes one, which is a really good example of um, mind-body connection because if you look at a patient population with depression, they're at increased risk for um, diabetes. And the reverse is true too. So if you take a population with diabetes, they are at increased risk for depression. So there's certainly a very important connection um, between the mind and brain and body in that case. Um, So I was doing my trauma research with the immigrants from Central and South America and various primary care clinics. And and one of the medical directors came up to me and she said that the patient population that's keeping me awake at night are our patients with diabetes and depression because we have tried everything we can think of to help them get better and they're just not getting better. So she was wondering if any of the work we had done already could um, be applied to that patient population. Right. Wow. And and diabetes, that's an interesting one. 
is um, you know is that is the diabetes an actual outcome of the trauma or is diabetes the cause of the trauma Stacy so in this case I would say they are coexisting in the same person I, w I wouldn't be able to say um, if the diabetes was directly linked to the trauma but this this patient population was kind of multiply traumatized. They, you know, grew up in um, places that were war-torn, where there was a lot of political violence, and in many cases came to the U.S. under um, circumstances that were very uh, traumatic. A lot of violence um, occurred in their route here, and then here often live in um, impoverished communities where trauma and violence is a part of um, daily life. So they have a lot of trauma in their background and they develop um, diabetes earlier than you might expect. Um, our pa this patient population was very young for a diabetes population. Um, so we thought, well, you know, some of the things that are really good for diabetes are also really good for depression. So if we put them together in one intervention, could we have an impact on both of the um, conditions that we were trying to treat? And that, so that's what we did. And we found some very preliminary but positive findings that, that our one intervention could improve mood and also was, was moving the needle on the diabetes, that they're... Um, glucose control was looking better by the end of the intervention. Wow, this is fascinating, Stacy. because I'm just thinking of, you know, people that I guess I know that have diabetes and, and, and I'm, I'm listening to you and thinking, well, it only makes sense that even having that sort of uh, illness must create stress and anxiety all the time within that person. And of course, it's going to create um, symptoms of, of you know, a traumatic experience over time. So this is absolutely fascinating, and it's you know allowing me to actually look at things in a very different light and um, see. And I'm just thinking now of a couple of people that I know, and I'm thinking. Mm, well, yes, maybe uh, you do need a little help around this, not to deal so much with the diabetes, but also deal with the anxiety and the stress that's going on within you. Once again, Stacey, we're coming into uh, our far last um, break, commercial break. But after this one, I'd love to continue our discussion and we're going to have to talk really fast in the last segment, Stacey, so we get it all in. But everyone, hang tight. We will be back with even more for you to listen to. Best-selling author, musician and life coach, Geraldine Tegelov will return after this short break. sure has experienced torrential thunderstorms, lightning, and flooding recently. Thunderstorms, otherwise known as cockeyed bobs, can be pretty scary. What's the fear of thunder and lightning called? Astrophobia. 
Years ago, Roy Sullivan, a Virginia Park Ranger, was struck by lightning seven different times and lived to tell about it. Lightning struck his head through his hat, set his hair on fire, and burned his eyebrows off. The current from the lightning traveled through both legs and blew his shoes off. The final lightning bolt hit him while fishing, and he was hospitalized for chest and stomach burns. Believe it or not, Roy Sullivan managed to recover from seven lightning strikes, but later died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound as a result of loneliness, otherwise known as azagaphrenia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to a Gallup poll, 56% of Americans want to lose weight. Most of us know that muscle burns more calories than fat. So when you're trying to lose weight, you want to lose body fat while preserving the muscle you have. Lifting weights while you're losing weight is not an option. It's a requirement. According to a Penn State study, when dieters don't pump iron, 22% of their weight loss comes from losing muscle. So if you lose 20 pounds without lifting weights, almost 5 pounds will be muscle. Upping your protein intake is important. And Columbia University researchers found that protein intake plays a significant role in preserving lean muscle mass during weight loss. Preserve your muscle as you drop the body fat. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back as Geraldine Tegelov continues to guide us through the three R's, the processes of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding a happy and successful life. Here is host and life coach, Dr. Geraldine Tegelov. Woohoo! We are back and you are listening to Geraldine Tegelov and my guest, Dr. Stacey Coltman. And we are chatting about the wonderful uh, solutions, hopefully, that are now available to all of us to help overcome all the, how can I put it, the not so positive effects of high levels of stress and anxiety. And I have just a couple of questions that I'd still like to ask Dr. Stacy. And I think, well, in thinking this through during the break, I thought, now, it would be really good to ask uh, Dr. Stacy, whilst we have her here online, uh, about, you know, the average person on the street. So, um, Stacy, do you feel that, you know, the well, everyone walking up and down the street each day, are we all suffering some form of stress and anxiety? So um, it's, it's an interesting question. A lot of my clinical practice is working with individuals who are experiencing stress and anxiety, but that's not necessarily your average person because they're already in my office. Um, but I do think there are certain things that um, are part of our modern existence uh, that do contribute to stress and anxiety, like the fact that um, people live very um, uh, lives where they're doing lots of different things and um, they're always connected to work through email and their smartphones. There, there aren't those boundaries around work that there used to be. Um, so I think that definitely contri- contributes to stress. Um, certainly here in the United States, um, our current political climate, I feel like is contributing to a lot of what I call ambient anxiety, just kind of in the air anxiety. 
Um, I love that way. I I love the way you've put that <laughs> because that can be in a, a home too, can't it? That ambient stress or that feeling of everything not being calm or in balance or whatever. Mm. Exactly, and I think that you know, always being busy, whether it's you know busy with work or busy with everything that we do in our lives in 2017, we often neglect our self-care. And when we do that, we experience even more stress. Um, And it's it's something we also model for kids, which is want to be modeling just the opposite of that, how to, how to manage stress. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, um, I guess I just watch our, our children and grandchildren and, I don't know what happened to us somewhere along the way, but we I get this feeling that uh, families feel they have to fill every spare minute of their children's lives too in running to sporting activities or art activities or something. And, and I think we've got into this little um, merry-go or onto this merry-go-round and we're not quite sure how to slow it down and get off. <laughs> mm. So, um, you know, as I said, looking at the lives and, and I know ourselves too, long gone of the day. Now, I can think back, Stacey, probably a, way, way much further than you can, but thinking of the times when shops were closed at weekends and you just didn't think about doing your shopping at, at a weekend or anything like that. Um, so, you know, times have definitely changed and yes, we are living in a very fast paced world. So are there those little signs and symptoms that we can recognize in our own individual lives? Sure. I, you know, I think some people, um, their clues are in their body, you know, like they feel aches or pains or muscle tension or just low energy. Um, some people uh, have uh, disrupted sleep, you know, either difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep or waking up early. That can often be a clue. Um, or also just being aware of feeling overwhelmed or stressed. Um, a lot of people um, recognize it that way. Mm, yes, and and I guess this can build up over time too, even though, you know, we we kind of put people with PTSD in a in a little box and say, Well you're over there and I'm here but we forget that quite often um it's the the build up of stress over time that can result in the PTSD. Would that be right? I think of them as distinct, that, that PTSD isn't necessarily an accumulation of everyday stress. I really do think PTSD is linked to traumatic experience, but they certainly can coexist in the same person. Yes, yes. Um, so w- once we've recognized that, Stacy, and we can start dealing with it, are there certain little strategies that we can use on a daily basis to prevent, I guess, the negative outcomes of, of uh, everyday stresses or even traumatic events taking over our lives? So I think in terms of managing stress, 
really good self-care is um, one of the best things we can do. So that would be eating well, sleeping well, making sure you have adequate movement during the day, um, in, enjoying periods of relaxation, like true bodily relaxation, not just watching TV and being distracted from your stress, but really deeply relaxing through meditation or yoga. Um, also having a strong social network. We know social support is so protective against lots of negative health and mental health outcomes. Um, and also finding joy in life. You know, we can be so busy that we realize, wait, we're not enjoying anything. So intentionally building in um, activities that have an inherent um, joyful quality to uh, you um, because that's very individual by person. But so whatever it is that brings you joy to make sure you're doing that often enough. Yes. And I love the fact that you've said, you know, intentionally because we can get so caught up in the busyness of life that often we forget that we have to really consciously make an effort over this and and even I often say Stacey put them in the diary you know to remind ourselves that we have to take the time to build these as you say even just feeling happy or feeling joyful over something and making sure that we even have a little list of the activities that help us to do that um, would certainly assist. And as Stacey suggested, you know, taking the time to take a yoga class or find a meditation group that fits you, that you can really relax into that. Um, I know only too well, um, listening to Stacey, that it's, you know, it has to be a conscious decision. And watching telly or what it, going to the movies, really, yes, it is relaxing, but it's not consciously react, uh, relaxing. It's not taking that time for self. Would you agree, um, Stacey? Yes. I, there's absolutely a place for TV and movies, and I think of that as more kind of shallow uh, relaxing versus, like, relaxation that you experience when you are meditating or doing yoga or even for some people exercising yes yes and um, I, I loved uh, way back in the start of the show Stacey when you talked about deep breathing I love the fact that you know these days if you just even take the time first thing in the morning and and during the day just to catch yourself feeling a little uptight or stressed and going, well, okay, I'm going to stop even for just a minute or two and just do some lovely deep, deep breathing. And uh, the one that works for me is that five, count of five in and the count of five out where you are really breathing right down into your diaphragm and it's not that little shallow breathing that we do use when we're totally under stress. So, Stacey, if you had, um, and now I'm really putting this on you, so I'll, <laughs> I'll give you time to think for a second or two. Um, if you had one little secret piece of advice for people out there today listening 
um, around, you know, stress and anxiety or PTSD, uh, what would you share with someone? So I think in addition to what we just talked about in terms of managing stress, so not PTSD, but stress, I would say other things are take a break from your devices, from electronics, consciously. Now, whether it's a weekend a month or a day a week, to try and escape um, that continual um, doing, 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 and kind of seeking of information that we've become so habituated to, and connect with nature. So many, uh, myself and so many of my patients that I work with find that so restorative to just go outside either, you know, at a beach or in the forest and and um, kind of reconnect with themselves in the absence of constant, you know, barrage of information. Oh, I love that advice, Stacey. I'm, I am such a big one on nature. You know, <laughs> our connection to nature and that beautiful energy that really um, builds everything within us back to balance again which is wonderful. Stacey, we're really coming so quickly to the end of our show today. I want to um, I want to thank you so much for being here with us today and all that you have been able to share with the listeners. Uh, we really appreciate it. Now, everyone, if you're uh, looking to contact Dr. Stacey, you will find her, of course, at the Georgetown University School of Medicine and there is a website that they can visit. But I really thank you, Stacey, for your time, effort, and energy today. It is so appreciated. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed our talk. Oh, that's great. So, everyone, um, don't forget you can visit me here at Toginet or on my on my show page at Geraldine Tegelove Live for a recording of this week's show. And remember, there are lots of other places like iTunes and everywhere as well. But in the meantime, everyone... Slow down, take a deep breath. Yes, life is too short not to. And I want to wish you all a million blessings of happiness, love and peace. And bye for now. Geraldine will be back next week with more life-changing ideas to share. In the meantime, you can visit her at www.geraldinetegelove.com to check out her fabulous new products and her workshops. Remember that all Geraldine's radio shows are available on iTunes free of charge. So why not?